Welcome to episode 31 of the Talent Athlete Podcast, How to Start Programming, hosted by me, Jared Brown, and Brandon Corbin. Hello. And we, <laughs> we are joined by our guest, Zach Silvera. Is that how you say it? Yes, you actually said it right. Nice. What's up, guys? Nice. I'm usually horrible at pronouncing people's names. So is everyone else when they pronounce Zephyr? Zephyr. Yeah. Yep, you got it, Brandon. Nice job. All right, <laughs> let's get into what you're drinking, Brandon. Man, after the last episode, I haven't had, I haven't, I haven't touched. That's not true. You're on uh, water. You're on water only now. I'm water only. I was. I was gonna be like, I'm gonna do it water only. Then we started talking. I'm like, damn it, I need to go get some wine. <laughs> uh, so I'm having. I don't know the name of it. It's a 2010 Malbec uh, from Argentina, and it tastes kind of shitty. Um, but I'm getting my wisdom teeth out on Friday, so I wasn't going to open up a new bottle of wine, and so I'm going to fight my way through it. Why are you? That sucks. I hated getting my wisdom teeth pulled. Thank you. But why now? Like, don't most people get them pulled by now? Yeah, yeah, yep, they do. But I just put it off. I've I've managed to put it off about <laughs> ten years too long, and um, yeah, so I'm at that point now where. I uh, yeah, I've got to go and find so how, do it. How did that news get delivered? You go to the dentist for a regular checkup, and he's like, "Yeah, got some bad news for you." No, no, because they've been telling me that forever. Oh, okay. Uh, I just finally realized, uh, you know what? I better do this, or I'm going to break it a tooth, and I'm going to die. Um, well, the first so. day, if I were you, I would not stand up much yeah, as long as you're bleeding, because I actually blacked out when I got mine pulled. <laughs> Oh, super. No, I plan on sitting on my ass and consuming entirely too much television. So Yes, that is a good way to go. Yeah. I they told me that it would be easier if they pulled the right side so I could have the, I could eat with the left side over the next like two or three days, you know, when they're really still bleeding and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. And then I had to go back like two weeks later and get and go through it all over again. So I, I don't really recommend that. I think no. that getting all done at once is probably would have been a better option. Yep, I'll I'll liquid diet it if I need to. I've done that before. I went and got a like a twenty piece of chicken nuggets and just ate it, chomped it down on my left side of my mouth. <laughs> I, looked, I just I, sat there and sucked on the chicken nuggets until they disintegrated <laughs> my mouth. Which probably wouldn't take that long. <laughs> yeah, I looked retarded. I had the you know the pain meds going and. It's like late at night, and I'm eating my chicken nuggets in bed, like you know, watching a movie or something. It was retarded. Yeah, well, and Emily has told me. Emily's my wife uh, has has informed me that all my e-cigarette stuff is officially uh, going to be taken away from me, just for the healing process, or yeah, permanent? just for okay. the just for the healing process. So you don't get dry sockets or something yep. from it. Yeah. Yep. And it, which is probably good because I won't have that self control. So I'm like, if you can fight me on it, that's fine. And it so only like, takes like 36 hours, I'd say, mm. for you to be in the clear, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I haven't probably gone 30, 30 some years without some sort of nicotine for even for less than six hours. Oh, well, it'd be good for you. You could always get the patch if you break down. Yeah, I do have that too. So. <laughs> You're like, right, I do that. Drinking? I do that already while I smoke. Yeah. <laughs> I I broke out a delirium nocturnum. This is a, <laughs> a nocturnal emission. What the hell kind of dude, drink is that? This is this is like my second favorite beer. This is a Belgian beer. The delirium tremens is my favorite. It goes for like eight bucks a bottle, seven or eight bucks a bottle. But in good Belgian style, it's very high alcohol content, eight point five percent. So what? it's like having two beers at least. It's it hits you pretty good. 
So I, I highly recommend if you're into beers and especially Belgian beers and you don't know about the, the delirium beers or you haven't tried it out, check that out. It is delicious. Delirium emissions. Cool. Delirium nocturnum and delirium Nocturnal. tremens. Tremens. Gotcha. Yes. Anyway, Zach, what are you drinking during this podcast? Well, actually, I've been watching a lot of Epic Meal Time lately, so I got some Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> are yeah, you, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> are you I rocking out the water. ice water? I have ice water. It's the tradition among our guests now. I, I think. I think Brandon and I are gonna have to switch to ice water. So I've what, got some water. I've got some water right here. Nice. All right. Now, are you, yeah, you got You got to explain why he's drinking ice water. Well, Zach is seventeen, so. We don't support uh, underage drinking on the Talent Athlete Podcast. We support cursing and pretty much anything else, but not underage drinking. So that would be the reason. Okay. Uh, he, before we get into our topic uh, for this podcast, I just wanted to mention that the Talent job board is being worked on and should be out uh, in the next few weeks or so. Purposely ambiguous on that. There's no launch date at the moment. But it's something we've been chatting about as a community in the uh, in the chats that we have twice a month, and uh, there's some pretty exciting stuff about it. We got some companies that are getting lined up to start posting jobs on it, and uh, it's coming together. So look for that, and there'll be more blog posts and I'm sure more mentions on the podcast as we get much closer to launching that. Anyway, let's jump right into our topic here. So, what, what's our topic, Jared? How to start programming. So we, uh, I was talking to you last night, Zach, just kind of finding out more of what you've done. It looks like you've done quite a, a lot of projects already by the ripe old age of 17. And you said you got started around 14. Is that right? Yeah, around there. Like 13, maybe HTML only, but 14 actually PHP and stuff. Okay, right on. What are some of the, like, how many projects have you done? I, I went to your Zach's.co website and you have a bunch of them on there. I know you had Zachify.net up for a while, but I'm not I don't know what the exact count is. Like how many projects have you done since you were fourteen? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. Maybe well, actual projects that actually do things and not just random little things by like messing around. I'd say around six or seven different things. Like I really like messing with the Twitter API. It's really fun to do all kinds of things. Uh Trying be trying to be original by using a bunch of different hashtags to do weird things that no one would ever uh, thought of is pretty fun to do. That's awesome. So, what got you interested in programming? Well, it's really weird. Uh, actually, I used to be a member on iPodTouchFans.com. Do you remember or know of that website? It's no. now iFans.com. No, not familiar with that. Okay, well, basically, I had an iPod Touch then, and I went on there, and they had a web development uh, section. And have you heard of iWebKit? Uh, no. Okay, well, it's this mobile framework for making iPhone web apps that look like their actual iPhone apps. Is that done by Apple or did somebody else no. do that? No, <laughs> okay. it's done by Christopher Plager. I don't know how you say his last name. Uh, and it's actually pretty cool, but now it hasn't been updated in a while. But it got me started. Like I made an HTML site, and then I started wanting to do things that I saw other people doing, like make dynamic stuff, and then I just started learning PHP from there. Yeah, I saw that you did. Uh, you consumed the Forest API using something like that, right? And created a website for Forest users. Yeah, a it's mobile, a mobile site. I haven't up. 
update it in a while. There's a few things that I need to fix, but yeah, the design on there is iWebKit, and I use the Forest API to do all that stuff. Uh, One thing I hate about the Forest API, though, just kind of random, but yeah. they do not allow you to uh, add comments from it, which is very annoying. Mm. But you can do new posts through it? You can see new posts. You can see the comments. You just can't add anything new. Okay. Uh, I thought Apple had some ways for you. I, I haven't really explored it, but I thought they had ways for you to style uh, websites to no, look I native. Think, I think they actually had this uh, web page set up for just tools people have made, and you can submit them. I forgot what that was, though, exactly. Yeah, I don't think they ever supplied any kind of, you know, here's some images and styles. Yeah, they never did that, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, that was obviously right when it came out. That was where the – there's no reason you need custom apps. So you've <laughs> right, got right. The, you've got the website. They thought they well, were going to go that way. I actually jailbroke like right after I got mine, and it was pretty awesome before the App Store being out, having all these cool like jailbroken apps and games. Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, one of the things I was really curious to ask you about is how did you get, start learning to program? What types of resources would you use in the, in the beginning days? Well, in the beginning, I actually learned a little bit of PHP and HTML, but then I wanted to like expand to C++ and all these like languages to make games and stuff. But I was only like 13, 14 at the time. So I actually did buy some C++ books and stuff like that. But I never really got into it because even then it seemed like those books were like behind the times and using programs that no one even used anymore. So I really used all online stuff for PHP, like W3 Schools was a good one. Uh, then random YouTube videos, like people teaching you how to make blogs and stuff. I like making blogs and forums because you have to use a whole bunch of different things like MySQL and a bunch of things you would never use at the static site. That's cool. Yeah, you know that really does pinpoint though something that's happening with where, where education's ultimately needs to go. Right? Is that you know we now have access to virtually every answer that we need. We just need to be able to find it, and that's really where the kids who are adventurous who are saying, you know what, fuck, I bet somebody's recorded them talking about how you do this and put it on YouTube. So yeah. every time, like my kids come to me and they ask me a question that I don't know, I was like, go go ask YouTube, go ask Google, and and that's really you know you can really see. I mean, because you can do a ton of stuff and self-learn and be better than if you went and you sat your ass in a school chair for, you know, seven hours a day. Right. And it seemed like just even 15 years ago, you basically had books as your yep. primary resource, maybe some fledgling forums, which you'd really have to root around in, were not easy to search through, you know, maybe some mailing lists or Usenet. But, I mean, that's awesome that you're able to just go on there. I actually wouldn't really think of doing it that much, but it's it's really cool that you did to just go on YouTube and just see those things. You know, mm -hmm. people are just sharing, like, here's how to do it, which is such a quick and good way to see that. Yeah, and uh, since everyone, this podcast is about everyone learning how to program and stuff, if you guys want to learn of some resources, basically w3schools.com is a good one. Uh, Nettuts.com is a good one. They have all kinds of different tutorials. And if you're more of like a person who likes to watch videos, PHP Academy has some really good tutorials on making PHP stuff. Are those tutorials free on PHP Academy? Oh, yeah. They're on youtube.com slash PHP Academy. Oh, that's great. What uh, what tools uh, like code editor were you using when you started out? Oh man, I really can't remember, but I do think I used Notepad plus plus, and then mm -hmm. a little bit of Dreamweaver. But I always thought it had way too much crap that you don't really need. So yeah. nowadays, 
I just use Coda. Coda is my favorite. Yep. Yep. I love Coda. <laughs> Saying all the right things for Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So what made you choose PHP? It sounds like that's the primary language that you've been you've been doing. What what well, why PHP? Well, there wasn't really a reason. Back then I didn't know of many different languages that existed. Like I probably didn't even know that uh, what was Microsoft's ASP.net or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it's called, right? <laughs> Is I didn't really know about that, or I never really knew about Ruby, and I still haven't gotten into Ruby. I'm just because I'm still like not an expert in PHP. There's always more to learn. So basically, back then there were other people on the iWebKit forums and on iPod Touch fans that were making cool stuff, and I saw they were using PHP. So I just started looking up things on how to learn uh, PHP. Oh, that's cool. Uh, how, do you choose projects first and then say, this is what I want to build now? I've got all these questions of how to do it and you go and find the answers or do you, are you more concerned with like, I want to learn this language inside and out and then maybe I'll apply it to some projects. Uh, I really just love making things and I've always wanted to make something super unique that no one else has, which that's why I make a lot of different things. Like I made a lot of different websites that aren't exactly PHP based just because I'm trying to make something original and so I've been using, oh my gosh, sorry, my mind just went blank. What did you ask? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn kids these happens. days. <laughs> it never happens to me. It, about <laughs> learning programming because you have projects that you want to build. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and so oh, you yeah. S- I'd always just go into projects and just think of an idea and be like, I don't know how to do all of this. So I'll go up to it, say, halfway through. And if I don't know how to do something, like one of the first major things that I didn't know how to do, and I found help on was getting a hashtag from the Twitter API, a certain hashtag or whatever. So I'd actually get, uh, this is how I found a lot of people on Twitter, like a guy named Tarnfield. Uh, he makes he made Twitmore. Do you know what that is? No. Oh, TWTmore.com. You should check it out. He made it a couple years ago. But anyways, I saw he made that, and he was actually the first person to follow me on Twitter. So I asked him for help, and we used Coda's live uh, coding feature and he showed me how to do it and that was one of the first that plays. awesome yeah that whoa, was whoa 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 you you and your newfangled technology uh this coda this coda live uh coding thing where is this <laughs> you've never used it no uh, i've only used it a few times but that was one of them and it was pretty cool learning the code as he's typing it uh basically if you open coda i'm opening it right now it's in the bottom left three icons away from the bottom left and you can connect to someone else's IP address and share documents and you could live code with someone. Oh, that's great. But other than that, I would use stack overflow pretty much. And of forest quite a bit. If you ever check my forest profile, I ask a lot of questions on there. And you find that like, what was the difference between forest and stack overflow from what you could tell? Uh, did you get different types of answers on one or like did you ask different types of questions on one versus the other? Well, I used Forest first and then I really found Stack Overflow because they have – it's all open. So when I Google things, they're mostly there. So then I right. started using that a lot. But on Forest, uh, I'd use it – it seems like the people who answer there more answer more in depth and more words. But yeah. the people on Stack Overflow just pretty much give you the code. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> which, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's a little more subjective, you know, somebody takes the time to write two or three paragraphs in response, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, Forrest is definitely a nice resource. So, do you have a question for him, Brandon? Uh, sorry, I was playing around with this. Uh, the code uh, alive. The, the, the You're like document. live coding with Zach now. <laughs> yeah, do it. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, da, 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 da. Uh, any other languages that you've played around with, even? Uh, well, I don't know. I for me, I don't really consider messing around with jQuery and Ajax really like their own language. Well, it, JavaScript is, but. Because those things are just kind of like add-ons to PHP and HTML. And so I mess with those a lot. And I'm not an expert. I'd say I'm about intermediate in those things. And I actually like messing around with Ajax. It's cool being able to save things without even pressing buttons. And yeah. fun to experiment with that. Well, hell, you've got plenty of time ahead of you. So the mere fact that you're already doing these things at 17, I mean, it really does it won't speak volume of your character, but as well, <laughs> you've got a shitload more time to become a total badass in all the different languages. Yeah. But I'd say JavaScript is its own language, baby. Yeah. Well, I said JavaScript, but I meant like adding on to that with jQuery and like Ajax. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Don't, yeah, don't discredit it. <laughs> You're a highly talented young man and you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> There's a lot of people that I, that are my age and that I think some of them are better than me, but like, I don't know. I can't think of any specific examples, but I'm trying to get pretty good. I still don't consider myself close to being an expert, but that'd be cool if I was. Ten years. <laughs> it's going to take you ten years to be there. Ten um, years. Okay. Yeah, ten years. To, and, and that's you know that's doing it two hours heavy every day. And then you can honestly say that you're at that expert level of whatever it is that you're going to do. So really, who gives a shit if there's some kids that are better than you right now? As long as you have more uh, patience and tenacity than them, you'll blow them out of the water. Absolutely right. So you mentioned that uh, you you pair programs basically with that guy that uh, was your first Twitter follower. How well, about- I've only done that a few times with him, but that was just one example of how I like to learn from people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. that's a pretty awesome example. Uh, how do you find, like, how have you found other people to work with? Other, have you worked with other devs and designers on any of your projects? Yeah, I've actually worked with a few people. Most of these projects um, never really got, like, publicity or anything. Mostly just uh, we help each other out. Like, when I need help with someone, they'll usually help me, and it's awesome. And then if they want something coded, I'll do it in my free time for them. So, um, how do you I've find actually, these people? I find these people mostly on Twitter. Like when I first started Twitter, the first few people I followed were some developers. And then when I see them retweet people, basically that's how it started. And now I have, now I follow like 150. I try to keep it low enough that I can read everyone's stuff. And then also when I joined Force, you can see a lot of people on there too. And right. on Talentopoly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Do you have you contributed to any open source projects, or have you read through the code of any open source projects? Well, to be honest, I really don't have time to do a lot of that. But I, the main thing that I've contributed to is iWebKit, but I don't really do any of that anymore. And I'd say I'd like to get into helping more open source stuff if I just had more time. But usually, when I'm working on my stuff, have school, and then now I'm going to have a job. I don't really have much time to do that. Can you talk about where you're going to be working? Oh, well, I can say some things. Uh, basically, it's going to be navjobs.com, and it's going to be a job board that's uh, probably going to be, well, it's going to be a lot better than Monster and all those other th- places because it's going to be more integrated with the employer and the person wanting to get employed. And I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to get in trouble. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your position going to be there? 
I'll be a junior web developer. It'll actually be my first programming job. Everything else I've done has just been for free and in my free time. Nice. Congrats on that. Hey, let me ask. I got, I got a question for you. Um, are you making money on your side projects? Um, a little bit on 360burst.com, but other than that, I'm not really making money on anything. And the 360burst? Um, uh, it's just a gaming blog. It looks and pretty so, good, though. I like the, the quality of the pictures you're putting up there. I read through a couple of the posts, and they look pretty decent. All yeah, right, so this is 360burst.com for those playing along at home. Yeah, it is, and we really haven't updated it in a couple of weeks because when it gets down to the end of school, like I only have a week left, we just can't post, which is really hard when there's other game blogs where we know we could probably beat them, but we just can't during school. Right, and this is all Xbox 360 gaming news, right? Yeah, pretty much. And so, and so you- it looks like you've only got uh, Amazon ads running. Is that true? Uh, yeah, we actually did have... We have buy sell ads on there, but we moved them down because we were trying Amazon to see how that affiliate network worked. We also had AdSense on there, but I noticed over time that people just really don't click on those, and they're kind of annoying. So I was kind of waiting uh, until I get more visits and we get the site up more uh, with more visitors, obviously, and until we actually put more ads and try to monetize it. Yeah, I'll be interested to hear how the Amazon does. I've I've had a you know a handful of projects that I use the Amazon uh, product API, and conversion is just I mean conversion isn't bad, but my payout's just garbage. Oh yeah, one of the things that I actually use it for, which I haven't checked the stats in a couple of days, but uh, in the bottom right corner, instead of having a donate button, which is stupid for like a gaming blog, I put help us out by buying a game, and it has an Amazon search thing right there. Ah, uh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, there it is. I see it. Very nice. Can you walk us through, like, what you've done? You've said you've used MySQL before as as your database of choice. Like, how do you use it? What have you done with it? Well, basically just in, like, I made this thing called iBlog for iWebKit, which I basically use that as the back end for it. And then, let's see, what else? Uh, any other, any Twitter projects that I do, I always store login info with their OAuth authentication keys and stuff in there. And I'm also making this thing called Now Playing, which they, there has been a website that kind of does this stuff because I've looked around, but it really doesn't do what this will do, which basically you log in with Twitter, it adds Now Playing hashtags, uh, anything hashtag with that that matches the Spotify API so if it's in Spotify, it'll add it, and and you'll have your timeline where you can see, uh, see your songs that you've used that hashtag on, and you can also like save songs, so you can just find songs and stuff. And basically, I used MySQL to store all of their user information and stuff. I don't really know what else you want me to say about that. No, that, that's pretty good. Uh, what have you thought so far working with MySQL? Have you wanted to go out and try like Postgres or? one of the NoSQL alternatives, or does MySQL seem pretty good from what you're doing? Well, it seems pretty good for what I'm doing, but at one time, like uh, last summer, I was going to make this uh, web app called Postify, which is basically, it was the slogan was Twitter-powered blogging. And, uh, hold on. Uh, dang it, I just lost it again because I'm looking at another page. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to keep track of what you're trying to say and answer the question at the same Absolutely. time. Databases, no other databases. MySQL does exactly okay. what you need yeah. right now, but you've thought about 
Okay, so like on Postify, I thought about how, how I had a lot of people that put their emails in. Uh, there was like 700 people that signed up, and I was worried that it wasn't going to scale well after it got popular because it seemed like it would have gotten pretty popular. But basically, I didn't have a designer because the designer decided he didn't have time to do it, and I couldn't pay anyone because I don't have a job. So, but basically, uh, if that had come out, I would have had problems with scaling it. I don't really know. I'd probably have to find some other database alternatives or something. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, here's, here's my question for you, Jared. At what point do you honestly really need to worry about scaling? I mean, we've seen, we've seen a bunch of companies with MySQL mm-hmm. um, be able to go and scale the shit out of it. Yeah. I yeah, mean, like Twitter especially. So, I mean, really is, you know, it, it, it seems, it really does seem that, you know, you can really scale with a lot of the current technology that exists. It's just a matter of preference. Um, I, would, I would you say that's agree. fair? Yeah, absolutely. By the time you're having to worry about it, you're in a great place. And yeah, yeah, and that's kind of my. You've got I mean, resources at that yeah, point. Yeah, I want to do it just because I want to have fun with that. I want to be able to say, yeah, you know, I'm pretty confident that it can scale up. Right. Uh, but really, you know, that number that you have to be hitting is is so much bigger than than what most people probably think. You know, where someone builds an app, they're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to get slammed the next day. I mean, that's the that's the odd man out, really. Yep. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't build for that for scale. I don't think early on. Yeah, you, you, you spend more time than you app. should. Yeah, I just feel like it would have been hard after, like, if it had gotten pretty popular, because I think it would have been better than Tumblr and a lot easier to sign up. So if it had gotten pretty big, I think it would have just been hard. But I I see what you're saying. It would have been by then. I would have had resources to fix mm-hmm. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In, in the you know the immediate thing you can do, and the, when a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, I'm starting to hit the limitations of my SQL," I'm like, "Okay, well, run some." analysis on your queries and yeah. i guarantee you will find that you have not indexed everything as best you could you probably have something that has you know multi you know field where statement where you don't have yeah. the right index set up for that you think you do and you think it's using that index but actually you'll find out it's not using an index at all so yeah. Yeah. or you know if you build something with an api that's going to just be able to scrape or pull in just massive amounts of data that you're going to store you know, and it's not natural because your site didn't grow over the years to become something that stores millions of records. You just built something that just like can stuff a database full of 16 million records. Then, yeah, you might want to start thinking about some of those things earlier. Mm-hmm. But for something that's just a natural website where you have user signups and they're creating the content or you're just blogging, you know, daily or something or several times a day even, you're not going to reach the limitations anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Uh, how about source code control? That's something we haven't talked about yet, like Git and Subversion. Have you messed with any of this stuff, Zach? Well, I can't really go super in-depth in this stuff, but I have used GitHub. I have a GitHub account. I've used Git. Uh, I understand some of it, but obviously not all the advanced stuff. Like I understand committing, and I understand how you can do a pull request for stuff on GitHub. But I haven't used Subversion, but I will be using that this summer. Very cool. You know, I've I've finally started using Git, um, and I really, really, really like it. Uh, yeah, it's really easy is, to use. Yeah, Subversion is. I mean, and it's fine too. I mean, I I use it for all my uh, all my code right now for the company I'm at is in Subversion. Um, but man, Git is nice. Yeah, well, the reason why they use Subversion is because it's just one repository. Git's meant for more than one. It, that's the reason, right? Fact, I know. 
the I'm pretty sure that is. I, I've looked up this. The, say that one more time. Uh, the reason why companies like to use Subversion is because it's not meant for multiple repositories. It's supposed to all be in one place. But Git's more like you can add a bunch of different uh, repositories, it's like in clones and stuff. No, uh, you. I don't think that's. You can have multiple repositories. You know, those kind of stand separately. I think the workflow and just the ease of keeping code separate and being able to merge easier. You know, because yeah. it gets distributed. It's just. It's a newer. It's a newer way of doing it. So they've learned from some of the stuff Subversion was doing. Like with Subversion, you have to contact the server. You know, it's just like here's an easy example. When I use Subversion for years. Every time I do my commits, you got to wait for it. It spins, it spins. Okay, now it's committed. But with Git, it's, you're committing locally, so you can just do as many commits as you want. You decide that, that something actually doesn't need to get committed yet or that you, you got to undo that. You could, yeah. yeah, before you sync it back up for the rest of the team to see, you have it local. So that, that's really good there. And then you can do things that are really neat because you have it distributed like that where you can do rebasing. You're merging because of how it tracks changes versus subversion tracking changes. The merges become a lot more straightforward. You get less merge conflicts. Uh, there's just a lot of nice little benefits like that. It's hard to you know, point to any one reason to use Git. But then after you've used it for a while and you talk to some of these subversion people that are using subversion, you know, the deployment with subversion is a little more twisted. Usually you use things like Capistrano or some other tools that are out there for doing deployment. Whereas with Git, you can just do a Git push like they do on Heroku and use a post deploy yeah. hook and it'll just take care of it for you. So there's, it's just a little bit nicer and cleaner than subversion. It's definitely an improvement. Yeah. But if you're not with a company and you don't have projects that you want out public, then there really isn't reasons to use that unless you're collaborating with someone. That's why I use GitHub for, a, I've only have a couple projects on there because I don't have a lot of things that are for everyone to use, you know? Right. So you don't use source code control on just the projects you work on alone? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. I, I'm kind of different. I, I do prefer using it for all of my projects because that way I know I can roll back easily and I, I use it for oh, deployment yeah. as well. And I just don't write shitty code. <laughs> Brandy gets it right the first time. Well, I don't my, often submit, commit. Sorry. Oh, one of my ways that I, well, actually the only way I really back up my stuff in case I mess up, is Dropbox because they have revisions for the that's, last 30 that's days. That's a really so good just, point. Yeah, that is cool. Hey, have you guys done their drop quest that was like a week ago? <laughs> no, but I saw that. I saw them advertise it. Yeah, I always have to use some like cheater like list on how to do it because they have the weirdest questions. <laughs> and that's a hunt. Like a, you got to hunt around the web for stuff. Yeah, I think you can still do it. You just get one gig of space still. I'm up to seven because I did last year's, and then I invited people. Oh, you win space for it. Yeah. I should have done it. I think you still can, actually. I'll look into that. It's dropbox.com slash dropquest2012, I think. Very nice. So let's talk about your most recent project. This one, I think, is the one you're most excited about, right? Tech uh, FTW? Yeah, for the win is what it stands for. So walk us through. What is this project that you're doing? Well, this isn't really a coding project. It's just uh, it's going to be a blog, and I have about four other writers that um, I've committed to it, and we're all just doing it in our free time. And what we're trying to do is cover the tech that matters. And basically what we mean by that is a different type of site. Like, you know, there's tech sites that cover all kinds of stuff. There's techs that just cover one thing. But we're trying to cover a few, like, 
just three topics, four maybe at the start, that are unique and other websites don't cover them. And we're going to try to cover them really well so we don't like fall behind from the major sites. So we were thinking of possibly starting off covering Linux, Apple, which are two kind of far off topics, and then social media and possibly gaming. Very cool. That's, that's a pretty diverse set of topics for sure. Yeah, it is. But I know we kind of feel like there are some people like us that like those things and that could make a good community. Right. That sounds pretty rad. So is that launched yet or is it coming soon? Uh, it's actually going to launch June 8th. Uh, you can go to techftw.co. We're using .co because the .com wasn't available. And we also feel like the people using our site are tech savvy enough to understand that uh, not every website is .com and that uh, we could be one of the most popular .co sites. And if we actually uh, do well, we could just buy the .com domain and redirect it. I like it. <laughs> and there's a hurricane raging somewhere. <laughs> not in California. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for going through how you got started programming there. That was, uh, there's a lot of good information there. Uh, let's get into some of our noteworthy links. And we oh, will... yeah, you actually talked about something that one of them mentioned, which was actually about GitHub. Right. Yep. So let, let's talk about Grape. This is an opinion, opinionated micro framework for building RESTful API apps on Ruby. And a lot of people are looking for ways to just get a, a RESTful API app up really fast. Grape is a is kind of a new kid on the block. Nice little framework that you could use. This is not Rails. This is its own framework uh, that's just built on top of Ruby. And it, from what it, it looked like, just my quick glance at it, this does look like it'll get you up and running real fast. I like the, the code that it, it, that you'd be writing for. The syntax is nice and clean. So something worth checking out if you're interested in that. Hey, here's a question for you. So um, you, I see you've got this as a gem. All right, you know, uh, since it's not so gems, I assume then aren't part of of Rails either. No, it's just its those own are Ruby. Kind of, is it kind of like uh, the Node uh, package manager? Exactly. Where like I it. install. Okay, cool. Got yep. it. So it, it tracks the dependencies, and and that is Ruby gems, which is just all all that requires is Ruby to have gems. All right. Cool. So yeah. Go play with Grape if you, and make some cool APIs. And the company behind it is Intridia, which they've done some really good stuff. So this is not some fly-by-night project for sure. Yeah, that's actually grapes. one of the things that I think people need to uh, think about. There's a lot of APIs out there that could be made. Like I know when I look up a project that I want to do, there are always some APIs that you could use from, I don't know, just random things. And it would be really nice for someone to make an API for them. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, HTML nine responsive boiler strap JS. What do you think about this, Brandon? <laughs> this is this is hilarious. <laughs> um, and uh, for any of you, I, I I don't know how we talk about it without ruining the overall experience that you have. Yeah, let's you go. Know. I mean, this is pretty killer stuff. So it's, if you don't it's know what this is, you've got to go look at this. You've got to check it out. It's a flexible, dependency-free, lightweight, device-agnostic, modular, baked-in component framework, MVC <laughs> libraries, shoelace to still <laughs> help you kickstart your responsive CSS-based app, architecture backbones, kitchen sink, Tweety Bird. 
and uh it's a responsive website you can fork it on github and you definitely have to check out the code on github it is uh really awesome and the actual file it is h9rbs.js oh and one thing to mention is that they actually have frequently asked questions (laughs) (laughs) now my my question is how the hell did this end up on uh on our list because you gotta have some humor. This is this is the comic relief right here. This it's it is it's um. I'm, do we know what actually they're using to build the website? Is it just is it Bootstrap? I don't know. Let's look. Yeah. <laughs> is it? <laughs> you gotta look at the source wow. code. <laughs> Let's see this. Try singing that song. I want you to sing it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is, is what happens when you get very very bored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta look at the source code and look at the mouse or whatever the hell that is. Well, this is comment. not the first time I've seen these types of projects up on GitHub. This seems to be kind of a a common joke that is posted on Hacker News these days. People creating these types of sites. So anyway, that's kind of fun. Check that out if you want to laugh. Uh, let's move on to Linus Torvalds invented Git, but he pulls no patches with GitHub. So is this true? That he invented Git? Torvalds? Absolutely. See, I had no idea. Yeah. Torvalds is the man. He, One of my uh, favorite things about this article is that the first commentator said Torvalds told them to get lost. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, but yeah, what they were using for the Linux kernel was this thing called uh, BitKeeper, I believe, for years. And it was a distributed uh, source code control system. And... The uh, BitKeeper changed their licensing, and they were going to start charging, but I don't think they were going to charge the Linux guys, but their licensing changed enough that it, the Linux guys are like, no, this isn't going to work for us. So, I mean, the last thing you want to do if you think you've got a good product is piss off the guys who create the Linux kernel. Because <laughs> don't you think they can probably make a better product of whatever it is you make you know, pretty quickly? So Torvalds went out. And within like 10 or 15 days, he created the basic version of Git. And then he said, you know, my, he's like, I'm done. And so he put it up there as open source. And other people have taken over as the core maintainers and have carried Git forward. But yeah, he, like, he, he cranked it out in like two or three weeks and, and said, yep, now we got Git. And yeah, that's, that's crazy. The people who actually make operating systems and the people who make the programs that you program in are the smartest people. Yeah. Well, what he doesn't like, he says here, is that when someone offers a patch, GitHub doesn't require a valid email address in the uh, in the commit. And you know, in Git, you you have a user associated with every commit, and those users are associated by email address because that's unique per user. So it's kind of interesting. I didn't actually know that GitHub doesn't require that. So he doesn't like that aspect to it, and he just said he's not going to he's not going to do pull requests. He's not going to accept them. Uh, if they're submitted via GitHub. So I guess if you're working on the Linux kernel, don't do that. <laughs> Otherwise, right. GitHub is pretty awesome. Fixie, filler content for HTML documents. I hate this. Why do you hate this? I hate this. I don't like this at all because you should not be using lorem ipsum uh, filler, right? You should know what your copy is. I and actually you, I agree with that completely. Yeah, because if you don't know what your copy is, it's kind of like um, don't come to me with designs 
with so anytime that I'm working with designers and they come to me with with just Greek text, it's like, no, you're not done. Right. You need to know what I don't care if it's every single word, but I need to know the idea and I need to know the amount of space that you need you have to convey this idea. Yep. And so take a stab at it. It doesn't need to be perfect. We'll have some, you know, asshole who's good at, at, at the fine details of the English word take care of that. But don't send me this garbage. And so I think it's a lazy man's way of making a website that fools most of the normal people. But once it comes down to it, the real hard shit is what do you actually fill it with? Well, and you're also skipping not just knowing the spacing, but you're skipping another crucial step of should I be this block of text that I think is going to be good when I do fill it in with real text? You're not actually validating that yet. Exactly. You're, you're going to do the whole design and then you're going to put the real text in and then maybe yep. you realize, no, actually that, that nobody's going to read all that or I didn't have enough to say there anyway. Or, you know, you're not exploring the full design if you're just using lorem ipsum. Exactly. So exactly. I, but I totally but agree it with does that. look cool. I, I mean, I mean, it. I could see people who do use this. And again, if you know, just because I say you shouldn't doesn't mean shit. Um, but so it does look like it would be really easy just to add a class and boom, that fills it with a bunch of dummy text. Now, it'd be interesting if, you know, so there are those um, those placeholder image things. Um, you know, where some of them you can just put in keywords and it'll pull in a picture of a cat or it'll pull in a picture of a house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way with those things. So, but you know, sometimes you need to do it to appease the business people. So they'll just get off your back. And in those cases, you know, yeah, it's forgivable maybe. I, well, there are some sites that people should have them on, like, uh, people who make themes for their theme. I think that's fine to put that on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Like your WordPress kind of theme directories and stuff like that. Absolutely. I've actually gone so far as when I do my paper mock-ups, I'll actually write real text in there. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Next link. Goodbye, Next. CouchDB. These guys were using CouchDB uh, when they first launched and then have decided, and this is Sauce Labs that was using CouchDB, and they, they started to run into just stability issues was their main problem. You know, it wasn't as reliable as what they needed because CouchDB is still pretty early days right now. And they switched to SQL. They switched to Postgres, actually. Oh, no, they decided on MySQL. So they yeah. switched to MySQL. And, and they said that they are loving this switch. Like, they have gone from the, you know, the fad, you know, NoSQL, CouchDB to just tried and true MySQL. And they said that it's 100% uptime now. Their database I.O. is perfectly fine. You know, they, they know how they can scale MySQL really easily. And it's worked out really well for them. This, you know, I, I think it, we're starting to see a bunch of these, right, uh, popping up where it's like, you know, goodbye, Mongo, goodbye, MySQL, goodbye. And it is, it's kind of like what happens is, you know, we have this idea when we want to build this application and we say, okay, you know, I think I don't need a relational database. I'm going to go the NoSQL route. And then shit starts unfolding and you start really being able to look and, and look holistically at your application and go, you know, oh, maybe that was a bad decision. You know, I don't know if it's necessarily a rip on the technology itself because mm-hmm. um, uh, and what I think happens a lot of times is that you know the guy who was the champion for couch db gets either quits or, or gets let go and then a new guy comes in and now it's time for the rehaul um so i don't know what have have you have you used couch db at all no i haven't and they do make an interest, interesting statement in here where they say well we are, we did look at moving to mongo db which was another document based no database 
but they started to read the reviews from different people on that and they came to the same conclusion that the maturity of it, it was just not quite where they needed to be, which is the whole reason they were leaving Couch. Yeah. yeah. So they just love the maturity of my sequel, which there's something to be said for something that already has, you know, a decade worth of programming that's gone into it and sure. battle testing. And it's using Percona and the uh, NODB uh, storage engine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so, I was just wondering, uh, what database do you use for Talon's Opley? Uh, I'm using Postgres because it's on Heroku. Access. Oh, okay. Yes, I use Access. <laughs> it's actually an Excel spreadsheet. I, I use I, no, I use Google spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Postgres, uh, and I still I haven't really played with the NoSQL stuff mainly because I just want to get something up and running when I'm building. And yeah. I just I grew up on MySQL, and Postgres is pretty much the same experience. And so you know, I consider the two almost synonymous. I know they're there are mm-hmm. plenty of technical differences and whatever, but you know, as far as how I use it via Active Record in Rails, it makes really no difference to me at all. Uh, and the, I still haven't played with like Mongo, and I just haven't had a need to play with any of those things because unfortunately, none of my stuff has reached the level where I need a hundred times speed improvement that Mongo can promise, supposedly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Postgres and MySQL are still what I dabble in. Hey, I actually do have an app um, that is now being used that uh, Google Spreadsheet is the data source. <laughs> You're not kidding about that. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I actually learned about that too. Yeah, you can do that. It's not very yep. hard either. Yep. No, we. it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I really don't have the time to uh, invest in, in making sure your guys' systems stay up and all that. So we're just going to use that to see if this is even a viable thing. And we're seeing that it is. So now I've got to go back and look at, you know, actually building out a real database for it. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about RubyMotion and why I am not buying RubyMotion is the name of this post. RubyMotion is a IDE. It's a it's a commercial IDE that builds off of MacRuby. And MacRuby is the project that was an internal project at Apple for a while. They actually had a guy on the payroll working on MacRuby. And it's a way to provide the right bindings in Cocoa. And they're actually starting to get into iOS now for you to be able to write programs in Ruby that will run client-side on either the iOS uh, or Mac OS X operating system. If you really can't give up Ruby and refuse to learn Objective C, this is the way that you could do it. I'd rather so, learn Objective C. <laughs> I What's tend this to guy's agree. reason for not using it? I didn't read the article. Yeah, so he says that the dependencies here, you know, is that he he asks himself, well, how quickly are they going to update the SDK? You know, the yeah. the actual yeah. native, you know, the the official SDK, the Objective-C one, you know that's going to be updated. Every time they, the, the new version of iOS is announced, they're going to release the new SDK a couple of months before. You're going to have it. And there's you don't have to worry about, well, this SDK builds on top of that SDK or maybe it lags behind it or any of those types of issues. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I, I don't I don't know how how I mean yeah it all comes down to how quickly they can obviously do it. Accelerator um, they always seem to do a fairly good job of of releasing you know new hooks to uh, the different you know updates that come out for iOS or Android. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, you know, my other piece is the price point for it. What is the price on it? Well, one forty nine, one forty nine right now for the early bird discount. So two hundred bucks for the wow. It just, it just seems a, it just yeah, it just seems a little. I would have bought forty or fifty. Yeah, exactly. I would I would have paid forty nine bucks for it. 
Um, I, you know, for one forty nine, that's kind of eh, I'm not I'm not that interested in it when I can go and get stuff for free that I can you know do in JavaScript. If I want to avoid Objective C, I can do it for free. Right. Yeah, he goes on to say in here, uh, if you want to invest on a platform, it's probably worth learning the official tools. Yeah. So if you're really going to make a go of making a great iOS app, then you know do it do it the right way. Especially uh, when the cutaround way is so much. Right, right. So like skipping skipping Objective C, Ruby Motion is not a way to avoid Objective C. Maybe you'll not write it, but you have to be able to read it because Ruby Motion is hooked into the same runtime and Cocoa API. He says. So you're still going to need to know how to read Objective-C. Uh, control, the Xcode and the ecosystem gives him complete control over everything, whereas with RubyMotion, you still don't get to control all of the same properties and have that same control you would have if you're doing it in the native SDK. So those are some of the reasons that he will not be getting RubyMotion. I still, you know, as much as I would do Objective-C and learn it if I'm going to really do a lot of iOS development, I do like that there are... Uh, that they're making it more available to people who maybe know Ruby really well or don't have the time or don't want to learn something different, hey, they could still make an app if they want. I mean, yeah. I think that diversity yeah. is a good thing. Absolutely. But it's just probably not for a lot of people. You know, the last two sites that we just talked about use uh, Myriad Pro as their font. There cool. you go. That's a nice little factoid there. That'll be on the. That's on the bingo sheet for this episode. <laughs> you guys should start making a little quiz thing where you, on the site, and they have to answer questions about the podcast. And if they don't answer it right, they get kicked out of the site and can't go anywhere. <laughs> you are officially cock blocked. <laughs> All right, let's talk about between a rock and a hard place. Our decision to abandon the Mac App Store. This is a very interesting article about the sandbox that they're going to be introducing in the Mac OS uh, 10. Is it 10.8 that's coming out or 10.7? I don't. It's 10.8. 10.8. Thank you. How do so, you not know these things? Sorry, I, was, I don't don't track that. Cl- we, you know, we, I honestly we, don't get like I I got Lion. I got Mac OS 10 Lion. I installed it. I think I waited like three months to get it. It I could do without. Like it doesn't make a big difference to me. Yeah, you know? I was I'm not one of those people. Forever like, on a Hackintosh, and now I have a real Mac, so I'm online. Yeah, I mean it's cool. I, I just don't get too excited about like full blown desktop, laptop operating systems anymore. But you know, iOS six, I, I'm, hell, I'm a lot more excited about that. Anyway, the sandbox they're putting in uh, in Mountain Lion. I think this is actually a good thing because they're the gatekeeper is going to be introduced with Mountain Lion which basically by default, it's only going to let you install and run signed applications. Mm-hmm. So this is where developers need to go out and you have to get a developer account with Apple. And that with that, you can then sign your applications. You don't have to sell them through the App Store. You can still offer them as downloads through, via any means you want, but they need to be signed. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. I think that's wrong. Yeah, the you can default change it settings. to allow you. Yeah, that that might be. I think it's default. But it, but it is a default it, yeah. setting. By which, default, which, yeah. By I'm default, sure you, that. Yeah, yeah, by default, you do not have to download them through the app store. No, 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 no. But but what we're saying, the default. What I'm saying is that default setting of that you can only install ones that have been signed. That's correct. Uh, that is correct. But you can toggle that off, so you can oh, yeah. install ones. Yeah, it's just a I default know, setting. I'm thinking in Mac OS. Uh, 10.9 or is what it will be after i think they might move towards only app store stuff which would be which would make me really mad 
No, I, absolutely. And that's why I've been now for the last, you know, three or four months been slowly trying to build up, a, you know, a Linux based OS that's going to give me everything that I need because I'm at that point, too, where if they do that, then fuck them. Yeah, I think a lot I, of a lot of people are afraid of that because it seems like a natural progression. I just couldn't see them doing it because, man, uh, you, they'll lose a lot of customers. Yeah, I couldn't either. And um, Brandon, so what Linux operating system are you liking? Because I've used Ubuntu quite a bit. Yeah, no, I'm. I've been running Ubuntu twelve um, oh four, and and honestly, dude, I really, really, really enjoy it. It's finally gotten to a point where things just kind of work as anticipated. Um, you know, the UI stuff still isn't necessarily where I'd like it to be, but it's all in all, I'm I'm getting really happy with it. Hey, well, so. you know, do you have the cube going where you can like see the virtual cube and all that stuff? Yeah, you know, I I was running the, some of the Compass stuff. Um, yeah. you know, I I like the wobble window where I'm dragging around and it's like I'm you know a f- like it's just got a bunch of fat that just wiggles. It's <laughs> just pretty yeah. cool. You know, yeah, so some you, of those things are pretty cool. If you want an awesome theme, because you say you don't really like the look, there's this website gnomelook.org, and there's all kinds of Ubuntu themes on there. Yeah, that's a good website. Yeah, no, you know, and my problem is, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily as controlled or as concerned about the overall, like, um, you know, how all the different elements look. A lot of it has to do with the spacing. Um, it seems like there's just a, a lot of the white space wasn't thought about in detail, like especially with GT, where uh, so it just it's uh, things like that. But I think that's all going to ultimately kind of just continue to improve. Obviously, we can install whatever window managers we want. Um, uh, and the the biggest problem is the design tools. Uh, GIMP is not yes, a, yes, an option. Um, but I'm I'm getting close to having uh, Photoshop running uh, through Wine, and I'm running this on my MacBook Air or MacBook uh, Mac Mini, um, where I've gotten really close to getting Photoshop to install. So we'll see if I can get that. Then I'm then I'm pretty close. And then what I'm, about Sketch? You got to get Sketch to run on there. Yeah, Sketch isn't going to run though because there isn't any kind of like Wine library for yeah. Mac. But yeah, Sketch is actually pretty damn slick. Uh, I I'm I've been using it more and more. Cool. So just to finish out the sandbox thing here, what the problem is is that the sandbox. It's just like an iOS where you can't just get free reign over the file system or any other parts of the OS that you want. You know, you got to use the SDK. Jailbreak. (laughs) So if and they're requiring that all apps that will be in the app store use the sandbox. So you do not need to worry about the sandbox. If you're going to distribute your signed applications via your own website, then that's fine. You're going to be good. Still sign your applications, though. But if you want to be in the app store, you got to use the sandbox because they're really trying to prevent any type of security stuff down the road. You know, as now that they're becoming so popular, they really want to have the right security in place so viruses and malware can't run rampant. Uh, and the sandbox has been really designed as a single document editing type of model. So for those apps where you open something up, edit it, save it, it's going to work fine for that. But for an app that uses source, you know, source tree for you to see all the files in your application that you're building, it's not going to let you just query the file system and then show all of the files under a certain folder all the time on the left hand side or anything like that. So they're really, they can't like, even if they really want to be in the app store, what this article does is it goes through in amazing detail why they simply could not be in the app store because there's just like the app would cease to exist as you know it today. Yeah. They just, there's not the right API stuff, which is what irks me about it. I'm cool with them having a sandbox and with doing gatekeeper. I think that's all, 
the move in the right direction. But I'm surprised they would announce sandbo- the sandboxing and even start requiring it. They've pushed it back to uh, June now that you can, that you have until June to get this uh, in the sandbox mode to be on the App Store. But they just haven't built out all of the API for you to even do it. Yeah, I know. I understand what you're saying. And if they just got it to the right point, it would be perfect because viruses would be so much easier to control and Absolutely. I don't even think there would be any on the Mac. But right now, it's just not good enough. I think they should wait till the next version of Mac OS. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they need to just at this point say, you know what, we rushed this too much. Let's, uh, let's, you know, they've already extended it a couple times, but they're not adding API methods quickly enough. They need to say, you know, we're just going to release this as like maybe a dot one uh, upgrade to Mountain Lion or something down the road. But anyway, I think we should, we'll end the podcast there. Thanks for uh, joining us tonight, Zach, and talking through this. It was uh, very cool, all the stuff that you've been up to. So thanks a lot for joining. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Brandon, thanks for being on the podcast, buddy. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners out there, the few that have survived to this point, we're sorry that you had to listen to all of this. But <laughs> if you did like what you heard, please go out to iTunes or find us on the a Zoom Marketplace. How about that? We're actually on the Zoom Marketplace now. So for the one Zoom user out there, if you're listening, go review the podcast. If you're on iTunes, go review the podcast. Leave us some reviews and ratings. We'd love to see what you guys have to say about us. And until next time, keep programming. <laughs>